This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 510, A Conversation with Richard Isinoff. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and this is episode 510. It's our conversation with Richard Isinoff, the famed colorist of 1602, uh, The Dark Tower, Origin, uh, joins us for an, an amazing conversation to talk about his process, how he first became a colorist, uh, how he basically converted himself for an open job uh, from uh, wanting to do pencils to actually being a colorist and then learning how to be a digital colorist right at the uh, the advent of digital coloring. Uh, it's really an amazing story, uh, how he kind of trained himself, uh, along with others, but really we're at the beginning of a whole new wave of coloring uh, and how he's pushed himself ever since, how he used outdated technology to do uh, some of the most sophisticated coloring techniques we've seen in comics and to create some of the most uh, memorable-looking comics we've seen. Uh, He's been the personal colorist of Joe Quesada for quite some time. He's done exclusive work with Adam Kubert, Andy Kubert, and many others. Uh, on Dark Tower, he became well-known for uh, for doing the colors for Jay Lee. So he's just an amazing colorist, and I really enjoyed having this conversation with him, and I'm hoping that uh, you, the listener, will enjoy it as well. Um, I, I've said this on a previous podcast. I, you know, I'm kind of a neophyte when it comes to artwork because I'm so far away from being creatively inclined in any way. But uh, it just blows my way, my mind away when I actually kind of see what these people do. Um, I again, I said this on a previous podcast um, that thirteen, uh, sorry, fifteen years ago, I started writing. No, that was right. Thirteen years ago, I started writing comic reviews for a site called uh, Comic Stream at the time. I think it doesn't really exist anymore. I think it's CX Pulp now, but I haven't been on there in years and. It went through format changes and that kind of lost me and then I kind of moved on and eventually did a podcast instead. Uh, but when I first started writing uh, comic reviews for them, I, it's when I first started to really appreciate and understand uh, exactly what inkers and colorists really did. Uh, up till then, you know, I was kind of, uh, you know, kind of dumb. Um, <laughs> I was just naive to how comics were really put together. Uh, I never really thought about it. It wasn't until I was actually kind of starting to grade comics and try to be more critical that I started to realize what, uh, what different inkers and colorists really brought to the table. And, you know, I, I was, what, 21 at the time or 20, so, you know, I, I probably could have figured that out earlier, but it wasn't until then that I really started to understand and appreciate. So being able to sit down with Richard and really talk about uh, how he has approached his work and how he's been able to uh, achieve such amazing amazing work in the past uh, was really engaging and interesting. And I, I've prattled on for two minutes, so let's get right into the conversation. But before we do, if you want to email me, you can do so at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, Subscribe to us on iTunes and also listen to us on Stitcher. And without further ado, let's jump right into a conversation with Richard Isenoff. So, Richard, welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Aren't you? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us today and uh, answering some uh, hopefully interesting questions. Yeah. Well, hopefully, my answers, my answers are interesting. So. I think I think they will be. Um, I uh, okay. I have. Um, a couple questions from a good friend of yours, uh, Corey Saddlemeyer. Yeah, sure. Good and uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, those will be interesting. And I also have some from uh, some listeners as well who uh, are very curious to learn more about you and your techniques. Oh, great! Cool. So, what uh, what's your first kind of interaction with comics, and in, in, I guess your youth, or how did comics become part of your life? Wow, uh... <laughs> it's very <Okay>. general. <laughs> It's actually very specific because uh, well, I'm when I grew up in France, as you can tell, and uh, well, comics are much more 
democratic them in a way that everybody reads them. Uh, like everybody has, you know, those big hard covers. Everybody grows up reading Tintin and Asterix to begin with. For sure. Um, and after that, you know, you get Hugo Pratt, Milo Manara, all these guys are really everywhere. And, um, and so it was always, and my dad also read comics too. Uh, and we had comic book magazines every week, but uh, specifically, um, American comics was actually kind of uh, marginal. Uh, not that many people read them there uh, because of such a local production, you know, between all the European ones. You don't really have France, but you have Belgium, Spain, Italy, and they all produce pretty, uh, uh, you know, a pretty big amount. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but actually it was in, uh, I was nine years old and my uh, sister had to go to a hospital for a minor operation. But while I was waiting in a, in, you know, in a, in a waiting room, my dad told me that I could get a comic and I got a Scrooge comics and just next to it was a, was a Daredevil. Uh, it was, it was a French publication called Strange that was actually like an anthology of, that was a Daredevil, Iron Man, Spider-Man and Captain Marvel. Yeah. And, um, and I just totally blocked on the cover. That's all I, I said. I want that. And I said, are you sure? That looks like, you know, robots. You're interested. I said, yeah, I want that. And then we, <laughs> that was the first one. I, and from then on, I started collecting American comics. Wow. And that's, so I know exactly the day I read my first American comic. <laughs> and uh, it was actually, I mean, it was really a great issue. It was Jim Starling's Captain Marvel. Oh, wow. I, uh, John Buscema was drawing a, uh, Spider-Man and it was Gene Colan on Daredevil it was really just a, a very good issue to start with it was the end of the Thanos Cosmic Cube saga with Captain Marvel with all the Avengers it was just I mean that, that stuff just blew me away on the, that, I'd never seen anything like that and um, yeah and I was hooked for the next uh, four years <laughs> so now how did you how did you you know develop your own talent as an artist um well my uh I I kind of always drew, I guess that was I I mean I, I, that was always kind of something I did and uh, my um, so I actually went to a high school that was where you could specialize in the arts and um, and you know I kind of I always knew that's kind of what I wanted to do. It was either that or a musician, but I kind of sucked as, as a musician. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really like playing, but I'm not that good. So I figured hey, this comes easier, so I should maybe focus on that. And, uh, <laughs> and it pretty much was the only thing I could do and not fall asleep while I was doing it. So I feel that was a good sign. Absolutely. And, uh, and um you know, and also my my grand my dad was a building engineer, but he always kind of had a, an ease with drawing. Like he would draw schematics and stuff like that, but he also kind of drew pretty easily. And his dad was actually one of those guys in Paris that does your portrait by the Notre Dame Cathedral. Oh wow! Uh, so uh, you know, like so he was like a street painter. So when uh, so when I kind of looked into doing that as a job they were pretty cool about it because he could tell I was better than his dad (laughs) (laughs) if if his dad could make a living he forget at least (laughs) at least I I would survive even if I had to draw people in the street so he wasn't too worried you know so (laughs) so then after that I stayed in college as long as in France uh, college is free as long as you graduate like as long as you move forward you can stay Mm -hmm. So uh, so I did an undergrad in college and I went to an animation school in Paris and uh, f- 
then after that, I went uh, to California Institute of the Arts. There was a, an exchange for on the last year. So I went to California and I stayed. And, uh, and uh, right uh, in when I was in school uh, in, in, at CalArts then, uh, there was this guy in my class that did an internship at Armage Studio in San Diego. Oh, yeah. Uh, during the summer. And uh, and we both loved, you know, we, we knew we both loved comics, so we talked about it. And then after a year of school, I could get a work visa. So he said, hey, if you want, I can probably get you in the door. Because Top Cow just had moved to L.A. And they were looking for people. And so he just uh, introduced me to Brian Habelin and he hired me. So, and that's how I started. I, I went in there to be a penciler, but... Uh, uh, well, they were full, to be honest, <laughs> and I wasn't. Uh, uh, I don't think I was at the level that they expected, you know. And uh, but in any case, yeah, they, they had no opening for pencilers. So he said, "But you know, if you want to," I had some paintings and things like that. So he said, hey, "If you want to try and show me what you can do on Photoshop," um, so I I tried out, you know, and they they hired me. So uh, and then I started working at Top Cow. Uh, the the cool thing that uh, Brian Havelin was doing at the time he was hiring painters and illustrators rather than computer people mm -hmm. we're talking back in, in 94 so this was Photoshop uh, 3.0 uh, you know the very beginnings <laughs> and, uh, and so there was no uh, there was no computer graphists really you know I mean there were people doing um, uh, a graphic design but nobody was using it really as a as a painting tool and uh, so we kind of uh, so I was working with uh, with Brian Havelin there was uh, J.D. Smith Steve Ferco Dean White um, Tyson Wengler which most of them are still not in the industry anymore but they were really uh, the, all these guys were painters beforehand that were trained on the computer by Brian oh wow and uh but, you know, I mean, pretty much, you got to also remember at the time, there was an airbrush, a brush, a couple of tools, and that was it. So you kind of, uh, so pretty much he showed us the basic and how to uh, set stuff. And every time somebody would discover a new technique, they would teach it to the other ones. And uh, and most of our uh, most of our goal was to try to, uh, to be able to do what we used to do on paper and kind of try to find something similar, achieve the same effect on the computer. Mm. So I'll just, uh, so you know, so it was really, hey, look, I figured out how to do brush strokes that way, and oh, cool. So then we start doing it, because we're all working on the same book, so for consistency reasons, it was better if we all knew the same techniques. So we just really, uh, and there was no, you know, we were, there was no proprietary, nobody was trying to be uh, kind of a dick about it, you know, we just, uh, it was just about helping each other. And everybody had different, such different uh, color sensibilities and things like that that it was there was never really any uh, any competition it was just about helping each other being as good as possible so wow. I mean that's that's so that's, what, that's absolutely yeah. fascinating like <laughs> that I mean so you you've never like this is kind of a dumb question so I apologize in advance but so you kind of you come in at this kind of this pioneering era of you know establishing these techniques for digital coloring have you ever done non-digital coloring in comic book format that we've actually seen printed? Uh, in, in comic, no. 
because <laughs> that's that, that's really interesting. Like, I mean, you're you come in at the very beginning of this whole new era, and you've kind of set the tone. And a lot of people would say you're one of the more influential digital colorists out there. And yet, you've never really had to do the original, you know, style of coloring. It's really interesting yeah, to me. Uh, I was. I was really, really lucky. I mean, Top Cow was really at the forefront of that. You know, there was a few other, uh, you know, uh, sorry, uh, San Diego Studio and, uh, shit, sorry, <laughs> I'm doing a blank, um, Wildstorm. Yeah. Wildstorm was really, uh, you know, they were pretty much, uh, well, you know, they, Steve Orley first year there and all that, so they really had started there and then were kind of the offspring. Uh, but I think Brian's approach, we kind of pushed it a little bit in a different direction. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and Top Cow was actually, you know, they, they had a great stable of artists. I mean, you know, we, uh, and actually that was what's really cool is the studio was really small. It was on, I don't know if you know uh, Santa Monica, but it was on First Street Promenade. Okay. Which is just, it's a couple blocks away from the beach. It's a very touristy area. It's a, it's a pedestrian street, you know, with all stores and restaurants everywhere. Mm-hmm. We were just right there between the parking. You know, there, there was an alley, and uh, it, it was really an awesome building. And for you know people in their early twenties, it was really the best place to be. Like we, you know, we, I remember we were playing ping pong in a in a hallway, and then we opened the door for uh, Axel Rose, who wanted to take the shortcut, and <laughs> 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 and uh, you know, you'd go out and you see all these stars in the streets, and uh, and you'd go and I mean, and you had the the most beautiful girls walking around. And then you'd go to the office and walk around the clock, and uh, the office was actually made of three rooms, but they were all open. In, to each other, you know, they were like half walls, and you could see into each other's room. Hmm. There was one with the inkers, one with the pencilers in the middle, and one with the colorist on the other end. And uh, you know, we 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 had nerve battles, and uh, but we also like you could just walk to your penciler and just ask what he wanted to do. So that's and then you know you kind of hanging out with the people, you kind of get along, and you, you had the people whose work you like, and you know there was David Finch, uh, Brandon Peterson. Uh, um, uh, it, it was really, uh, uh, you know, Joe Benitez, um, Mike Turner, and uh, and also Mark would come and uh, and he would give like Mark had a, Mark Silvestri had a separate office, uh, but uh, but he he had a table there and he'd come and hang out, especially at night. He would come and draw surrounded by everybody, and uh, and the studio was open like twenty four hours a day. People would stay there. There was a bed where we would take turns of sleeping on it. <laughs> and uh, like my shift was usually from four to four in the morning, you know. Uh, we'd come when the people in the office would start to leave, and then we'd start drawing and working, and uh, and all that. It was pretty. Uh, it was a very like creative part. It was and uh, and and being able to communicate directly with your penciler was was it was really uh, primordial because you could. Uh, any question, any, you know, like you could really work as a team instead of just somebody to whom you send the pages and then maybe send them back the next day or send you notes. You actually could work on the pages together. And, uh, like you, you know, I, I worked mostly uh, by the end with, uh, with Brandon. We became pretty good friends and we kind of uh, kept, uh, uh, you know, how was his colorist. And, uh, we, uh, but yeah, like on the background, say, I don't want to try that. I said, okay, well, just leave it open and then I'll, I'll, I'll show what I would do. And then we'd work together really on the look of the pages together. It was really, like I say, it was a great, a great learning experience. Mm-hmm. And I, I was so lucky to, to be there exactly at that moment 
I mean, I, I got there really two months after they opened the studio in Santa Monica. So oh, they wow. were just, I was, uh, they, uh, yeah, no, it was really cool. And uh, like I said, I've made friends for life. I mean, those guys are still some of my best friends. The, the chorists in that team are really um, are people that I still talk to regularly. You know? <laughs> wow. Now I have a question about that. So, what was the? How steep was the learning curve on you know on learning on these programs to start doing this digitally? Uh, again, you were you know originally came in there hoping to be a penciler. Now you're learning color art and how to do that on a program where you know not a lot of people know how to do that yet. What was that learning curve like, and how long did it take you to you know start becoming reasonably comfortable uh, in developing the your approach to the color art? Um, yeah, it's kind of funny because well, we used to work with guides meaning that there would be somebody that uh, that set up the color scheme for the page and kind of established the basic lighting with markers or watercolors. Okay. Then, so the, the, the idea was that because there were so many people working, sometimes you'd have like 10 colorists on one book because, you know, there would be, everybody would do two pages and a book would be done in a couple of days. Uh, but um, to, for, to have a coherent look to the book, we'd have those guides. So that's kind of how I learned at first. I was, all you had to do was take that and transform it into, a, you know, using the airbrush and a gradient and a lasso tool. That was pretty much it. So starting with very basic tool and with the guide, you kind of had a safety net where you could only mess up so much. Okay. It's, you'd be surprised about how many. Well, <laughs> you, can, you still can mess up, but it was pretty limited. And then after that, uh, um, at first, Brian would go over the pages to make sure that everything was good. And then after that, that was my job. I became the art director when he left. Oh, wow. But uh, he, um, so pretty much, uh, I remember actually, it took about, it took me about two weeks to really be at ease with the Wacom tablet because I had, you know, working, uh, working without looking at your hand was really a weird sensation, mm. <laughs> you know, you, because yeah, I had worked with a mouse and I had worked uh, in 3D at the time. It was the birth of uh, 3D graphics, and I was uh, studying animation, so that's kind of what's what I was focused on. So, so I was used to working on a computer, but never in in a where in a way where the you know the gesture was important. So that was kind of a new uh, a new thing to learn. So that took about two weeks, but um, and then I was really stuck on the guide. And then it took me. A, I, I remember having a breakthrough about three months in when I realized hey, you know what I know how to do that why am I mimicking that stuff <laughs> so that I, I suddenly you know I was so uh, caught up in the technique that I, it took me that about yeah, about three months to realize that hey, this, this is just like painting it's just a tool so then I started to do my own to realize that I could do my own cuts and my, my own lighting and all that stuff without being can you hear me? Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I hit a stroke back here. Uh, um, yeah, so that was kind of a... But yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's funny because I remember the day I was working, I was doing a lighting on the face. I said, wait a second, this is what I would do if I was painting. I just... And then suddenly I started yeah, to, uh, to evolve that way. But it was still... Uh, airbrush like I said it was still that very slick airbrushy with a lot of lights type of look that you had in the 90s and uh, and when I started really doing my own thing I would say was probably on Origin uh, actually just before uh, Wolverine Origin you know it was around 2000 yeah so you got, I started in yet in the uh, uh, well, actually, yeah, sorry, there was an intermediate step there, which was uh, I, I worked with a, a guy named Ashby Manson, uh, who was doing color guides at the time, and uh, he was the only one that would do it in watercolor, but he was he would actually uh, 
his guides were like little paintings. He would really like kind of mix colors and try to put colors in, in the shadow, like uh, really kind of very complicated and sophisticated uh, color schemes. And uh, kind of as a, as a game, I started to try to emulate all the accidents that happened with the watercolor. I tried to, in, to, uh, to put them in a computer coloring. Like you know how like you put a little bit of purple in the sh- in the shadow and then because it's watercolor it kind of slips into the green that's next to it or this type of stuff oh. and I found that interesting so I was trying to emulate it he loved it he said oh man I want you to color my stuff because you're the one that picks up on those subtleties and uh, so we kind of uh, <laughs> we kind of uh, started working together and he would try to push me really by making more and more complicated stuff and I would go and try to duplicate them uh, also uh, and uh, so that was really a great. A learning school, a learning curve for me because I, I, I painted before, but I never really focused on it. Like I said, I was more into animation, and actually, all my films were in black and white. Mm. I never really bothered with color. I never felt very confident. So that kind of taught me how to be confident. The fact that he trusted me so much kind of gave me the confidence to really uh, kind of push myself to learn about, um, you know, the the I would say color theory, but it was pre. It was just practice, nothing, not, not much theory about it. Uh, I had learned a theory in college, but I kind of just kept it in the back of my mind, and then it kind of all came back, and it was all. No, it was. It was. I mean, I said those probably three, four years at uh, at Top Cow were really a great. I mean, for me, that's where I learned everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you you mentioned Origin for a second. Uh, what yeah. what program were you using to actually color Origin? Well, that was still Photoshop. Uh, actually, I I only use I kept using Photoshop 3.0 until last year. I, I stayed on the same version of Photoshop that I started on until <laughs> until <laughs> until uh, I switched to Mac and it wouldn't support it. So I had to uh, to actually switch to CS2. <laughs> actually, not to the CSCC. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, Everybody made fun of me because uh, I, it wouldn't even open JPEGs anymore. I had to I had to get the newer version of Photoshop, open the files in there, they save them as basic files, and then open them in, in my Photoshop. <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> but, but you know, you know a tool so well. It's like my my thing was like if you learn how to paint with oil and acrylic came out, why should you be forced into using acrylics? You still like oil, you know? Sure. And I've, I've learned how to use it. I could do it with my, you know, I could color with my eyes closed almost. And, uh, and then suddenly I have to relearn. And I'm, yeah, I've been on it for, well, almost two years now, but I'm still struggling with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some, you know, all of my, I have 20 years of automatism that I have to relearn. And it's not, uh, like when I'm tired, especially, I hit the wrong shortcuts, you know? <laughs> Yeah, no. It's, it's it's funny. One of the uh, one of the comments from uh, from Corey Sadelmeyer was uh, Photoshop three really. <laughs> yeah, that was one of his. Uh, yeah. But but he, he he points out though, and I I mean I didn't realize that you're using such an older piece of software when you did it, but that he said you know the fact that you used a, a comparatively primitive version of Photoshop to achieve the most sophisticated painted coloring and origin is just a testament to your own creativity and innovation because it's that's it's it's almost bonkers to imagine that you used you know at already in 2001 an older piece of software to create again some of the most lush colors I'd ever seen in a book up to that point well thank you I mean you know it's like I said it's just they're just colors they're the same one I still use the same palette even in the new one so it's just uh, you know it's purely technique and so yeah they're probably where Especially with a with a the way you can customize your brush, that probably were a much easier way to do what I did. <laughs> but I still, but you know, like I said, I 
learning a new way to do it or just uh, taking my tool and trying to push it a little bit further kind of was the same amount of effort. So I just figured I might as well just keep going that way. Except the further I got, the harder it made it to transition to a newer version of Photoshop. And because uh, the more uh, the more tricks I was learning with the older version, and there are some tools that have changed a lot. Like the brush is like there is no default airbrush anymore. I had, it took me probably a month before I was able to create a, an airbrush that reacted the way I was used to it. You know, oh, really? it, it, went, uh, it was really, uh, it, 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 it was a pain in the ass, honestly. <laughs> so, uh, but I mean, like I said, it's, uh, Dean White helped me a lot because he's very, he's always on top of the technical stuff. So um, I, I spent half of my time on the phone with him trying, well, the fuck is that key? <laughs> How do I do this? They changed the menus on me. So yeah, they changed them 10 years ago. So yeah, okay, but still. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's too funny. I, I do empathize, though. I mean, when they do, I, I know exactly what you mean. Like, when you change something, you want to use what you're used to, especially at a high level like you were. Uh, as you said, you were able to kind of almost paint with your eyes closed because you knew how to manipulate your software. And so any kind of update or change, it's understandable that you'd be resistant. But by being resistant that long, it just makes it that much worse when it finally happens. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think there have been 12 different versions since the 3.0, you know, so it was just... <laughs> it was, <laughs> anyway, but uh, only to, to, uh, yeah, to go back to Origin, because uh, it was kind of funny because I, uh, I started doing... Um, it was Adam Kubert who really loved... I started... So I, from Top Cow, I went to, uh, to Marvel. I mean, I did a, for about a year, I kind of freelance and worked for everybody uh, uh, that would hire me. Um, I got married, so I got a green card, so I was able to uh, to not be uh, working for the same employer. I was I, w- I had a work visa with Top Cow, so once I got yeah, it was up for renewal, and then I got married, so I didn't. I just I wasn't stuck there anymore, and it, it I kind of was. You know, it, you know, I stayed there for four or five years. It was kind of time to move on, uh, but I. Um, and I always dreamt of working for Marvel. So when Brandon Peterson went to Marvel, he kind of asked if I could come, and then when I. Uh, and he kind of promised he was doing an X-Men book and he kind of said you know you're going to come with me man uh, but uh, then uh, they had already a colorist assigned to it so they said well sorry we can't put you on there but you know since it's been kind of promised to you you can go work uh, with Adam Kubert which you know was not too bad no no that's okay (laughs) (laughs) and uh, so yeah we did an issue and, uh, and it was actually Funny because it was it was an issue where they, the X Men it was X Men number eighty two and they, they it was kind of an Alice in Wonderland type of stuff they literally went through the mirror and ended up in this kind of alternate reality and in that Adam drew everything it was all pencils he didn't want it inked and he wanted it pens, uh, he, you know he wanted it to leave to leave the pencils are much much more rough and sketchy and uh, he had done it in the past and it was still colored the same way. Even though it was pencils, people just colored it as if it was regular stuff with uh, the airbrush and you know, the techniques that we used at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw that and said, you know, are you okay if I try something else? And I kind of went back to that watercolor stuff that we did. Um, I felt I, sh- I said, you know what, I'm really going to try to imitate watercolor, like that effect that you get in watercolor, but in um, on the computer. And uh, so I, uh, I would make my selection. And, you know, like when you, um, sorry, I'm, I'm gonna get a little technical. <laughs> like you know, when you, uh, when you do watercolors, the the pigments, like it's a bubble of water, and the pigments kind of gather on the edges and end up kind of drawing a little slightly darker edge 
so that's how you get the, you see the brush stroke on watercolors. Mm-hmm. It's the color that's a little bit thinner in the middle and thicker on the sides because it's the bubble effect. You know, the pen because of gravity, the the, the, the pigments gather at the bottom of the bubble, and um, and so I was I tried to do that. So I would make my selection with a lasso and then with a tiny little brush I would kind of hit the edges and to kind of give that effect of the pigments gathering to the edge and I colored the whole thing like that and and making uh, and and kind of kind of set, blending colors in a weird way and all that and uh, and that was actually super fun uh, it was a uh, and uh, he uh, he really liked it um, and uh, then after that project it was a uh, Brian Haberlin told me that uh, Joe Quesada was looking for a colorist on Daredevil. And uh, so I uh, I said, okay, I'll do that. Uh, Daredevil was my, like I said, it was the first character I ever saw in a, in a comic book. And it That's was right, my, yeah. It was my favorite character ever. So I just, uh, I was like, okay, I'll do Daredevil. <laughs> and, uh, and that's how I started working with Joe. And he actually had seen those those pages that I did with Adam and he kind of uh, that's how he always kind of uh, he um, you know at the first issues of Daredevil were pretty standard but then after that we went into parts of the hall with David Mack mm. that was like a whole new ball game we, because we really tried to integrate the, the painting and, the, and some crayon effect and try to really do something else and he would send me like pages on like three different uh, pieces of paper like pencils with a with you know, uh, the background would be on a different one and there would be this pattern that he wanted to integrate and it became kind of this this very, I mean, really, really fun experience of trying to create a new a new look, you know, uh, something that would be kind of in, very inspired by David Mack, but that would still be Joe Quesada. And, um, and so that was really fun. And uh, then I, at the same time, I was doing uh, Ultimate X-Men with Adam and, um, and on the covers, the same thing, he, he started to do those covers that were... Um, pencils and uh, they wanted to do that uh, uh, digital painting that was starting to uh, to come to the forefront at the time and I I did a cover for Ultimate Spider-Man number one over Joe and a couple of covers over Ultimate X-Men and uh, that were just direct from pencil but still using kind of a airbrush and, uh, and very slick uh, technique but I really like the result you know working directly from pencil actually like painting Directly, not not just coloring like like I did on the X Men, but right now that you could you could sometimes you couldn't see the line out anymore, like taking the line out and finishing the painting kind of idea. Oh wow! And um, and I did a Spider Man climbing up a wall that that was the cover for Ultimate Spider Man number one, uh, where Joe actually took a picture outside his. His, his room, his office, I think, and of an alley, and then he drew Spider-Man in pencils. I said, "Okay, do something with that." And uh, so I actually ended up repainting over the whole photo and then painting the Spider-Man because I wanted the look to be coherent. People were doing that, but they would just take a photo and then just, you know, kind of give some volume to the character, but it looked like crap. I really wanted, <laughs> in, <laughs> I, I wanted to really integrate background and, I, I, you know, I wanted it to be the same uh, graphic language between the between the background and the character. So I kind of went and I spent, I actually spent 24 hours, like two 12-hour days on that piece, just doing everything, like doing brick by brick on the mortar and all that stuff <laughs> with my little lasso and my airbrush. And, uh, and, um, and uh, he really liked the result. 
And then I was on the phone with him and I said, you know, it would be really cool. Like he just became at the time uh, editor-in-chief and his workflow was kind of slowing down. He said, you know, you don't have the time to, to draw anymore. So what you should do is just do a couple pages a month. I'll color them that way so we can have that whole book that will be digitally painted, you know, and then do two pages a month. And by the end of the year, we got a book. We got a one shot, you know, and uh, I said, oh, that's cool. That's an interesting idea. Yeah, let me think about it. And then the next day he calls me and says, well, you know, I, I, I'm never going to have the time to do it, so uh, it's, we can just forget. But I do have a project that I think would be really cool if you could digitally paint it, but you're going to have to sell it. And that was Origin. And so uh, so he sent me some pencils and I digitally painted them. I did, because uh, Andy Kubert's style was much more rough, you know, it, it doesn't, it's uh, um, like, Joe has a very slick style. His pencils are super clean. I mean, you, mm-hmm. to, you, just, you, can, you know, you can just push the contrast and you will get almost the ink page. Uh, but Andy was going for a style that was much more uh, rough and, uh, and gestural. So I kind of started to do this brush stroke that kind of followed what he was doing. And that's when I started using brushes instead of airbrush. And, um, and it kind of uh, so we went back and forth. And uh, we kind of established, with Andy, you know, we kind of established a style. And then after that, we really... Uh, the, they liked it, uh, which was a big uh, gamble for them at the time because uh, they hadn't been. They they had a couple books that were done without inks, but it was the first time that it was a book of that magnitude that they knew was going to be selling a lot and seen by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It was not. Like, it was not like the side uh, artsy project. You know, it was a mainstream <laughs> book that was going to be uh, that was going to be done uh, directly from um, from pencils, and so that was kind of cool. And, uh, but the good thing also that came out of it is that that kind of set the precedent because uh, they uh, they ended up with uh, not doing what to do with the inkers uh, royalties because at the time carvists were not getting royalties and uh, so uh, they decided to uh, to split them between the pencils because Andy was doing more work than usual so he got 50% of it and the carvists got the other 50% hmm. so so that was the first time that carvists were that kind of set a president administratively so calories would start getting uh, royalties and after that they kind of made it the the the, the norm you know yeah. so that was how did, how did you um, how did you develop I mean the origin has a very unique and very distinctive um, look to the covers I mean the, the colors um, are very they're very eye-catching and they're very uh, I, I can't even think of the exact word but they're very noticeable and they're very different from anything else that was really being published at the time how did you develop the colors that were used on the covers um, well the uh, um, sorry well that first I don't know it was a well, the idea came of doing CPR because it was a period piece, you know, so I wanted to keep it within a very limited range of kind of different shades of brown, pretty much. <laughs> Just like this sepia tone, these kind of goldish browns, you know. And um, that was really the, the main idea, is kind of make it look like old uh, um, old sepia photos, uh, faded out, you know. And uh, now the, um, the thing I did was also the, like when you paint on canvas, uh, I, I was I always try to uh, to get that thing of uh, of layering of colors like uh, like like you see if you uh, I don't know if you ever painted on canvas but you are uh, like you you know you get your paint on your brush and it starts very thick and then the paint runs out so by the end of your stroke you can really see the texture of the canvas mm. uh, 
but the under color, like, like say, you know, you painted a background blue and then you started to put some red on top of it, but there's a point where the red, there's not enough red on your brush, so it dries out, and you can see the blue poking out in, uh, in, uh, in between each thread of the canvas, you know, so it makes uh, these kind of little dots of colors that appears through the other color, and I always kind of thought that I mean, that really, like if you paint with a dry brush, you actually use that effect, you know, where you actually have, you can see the two colors appearing at the same time. Visually, you know, they blend, but if you look closely, like little blue dots in the middle of a red dry stroke. And uh, so that's why I actually painted a canvas with a, with kind of some gray and a little bit of textures on it, uh, just to hit the top of the fibers. And then I scan that and I put that as a channel and I would uh, subtract or add it to what I was doing. So I would do you know color in in a, uh, between the threads or on top of the threads and so that's how you end up having the, that uh, that canvas effect and that would help me blend the colors uh, in, a, in, in a in a different way than usual so wow sorry <laughs> i don't know if, if it made any sense but uh, <laughs> no it did and i'm looking at the covers from origin as well and i can kind of see what you're yeah. talking about and details i don't even know if i'd noticed before but like you know, cover number one, um, just at the, the the top, kind of as you said, like you can kind of have that sense where I almost don't even know how you do how you did this <laughs> because it, it has it does have that look of you know an actual painted work where it kind of ebbs and flows and you're at the top as as you said as where the color would kind of run out on the brush. Yeah, but well, I mean, yeah, that, that was really like I would hit the, I would get the brush and then get lighter to get that effect. You know, just mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, I mean, the tablet is uh, pressure sensitive, so the harder you 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 draw the more color you put and then if you get a lighter touch it just brushes the canvas so um, so you can really do similar effects I mean like I said my most of uh, up to there you know that I was just trying to be able to do what I could do on a canvas or on a paper and being able to reproduce that if trying to find ways to reproduce that effect on a on, on the computer with very limited you know, there was no filters. There was nothing like that at the time, so you had to find other ways around it. To uh, like, there was no custom brush. You couldn't imitate those effects. You had to actually create them every time. So that was kind. Of, but but I like the challenge. It was kind of like, uh, you know, um, doing things very in, with very simple means, trying to achieve something. Uh, mm-hmm. When you did those covers in particular, um, there's a, a lot of really interesting use of shadow on the characters. Was that something that was in the pencils that the, you know that yeah, actually yeah, was detail, or did you just decide to? No, that's, kind of, no, no, that's Joe. Yeah, uh, I mean, I do the modeling, but really those covers, I have to say, that was probably Joe's best work too. So it was kind of a, you know, he, he did that first cover, and after that, that way he knew he couldn't go down from there, so he had to keep up the. the <laughs> and he just every time I mean uh, from the first one you know the, the close up of the hand is so uh, so iconic now uh, then you had I think number three was the wolf's head mm-hmm. no, that's number four maybe that's that one four, yeah. and number three is when uh, when Rose is holding young Logan in the snow with a trail of blood that was just uh, and also that was a thing he wanted to play with uh, with that one you know whether the title would not be like play with the composition of the cover not good because at this point the book was going to sell no matter what <laughs> so uh, <laughs> they were not restricted by regular composition of covers and stuff they knew it was a hit uh, actually uh, it really killed me because it came out the same month as as a as as a Miller, Frank Miller released his Dark Knight, uh, the number two. Oh yeah. Uh, I like, shit, I was gonna have number one, and we were number two. That really killed me. <laughs> 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 so, like you know, you're, <laughs> you all 
happy and then crappy beat us to it. Uh, but um, but yeah, no, I mean, it was yeah, it, it was a we knew it was a hit by then, so we kind of knew that we could we, we had to keep up the quality, but also that kind of gave us a sort of creative freedom because then the, the you know the, the money people were not on our ass because they, they, they as before we started, it was a risky proposition. Like I said, they, they had never seen a project of that magnitude done that way. But once they knew it was working, it was okay. Go for it. So that was really uh, that was. I mean, yeah, creatively it was, and also uh, that, that's right. That's also, I think that's when I started to do the splatters. I I did some uh, some splatters on paper with a uh, with a toothbrush. That was a technique I always loved to use when I was doing illustrations. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a good way to hide your mistakes. You kind of you splatter on it, and it kind of looks energetic, but it kind of hides the, the fuck ups. And um, <laughs> so. So I actually did some splatters on black and white, scanned them, and used them the same way as masks. You know, so I would put them in a lay, in a in a channel, and then and then use those as a. I did like four different densities, like one that was just some large big splatters, some smaller ones, and smaller ones, and then, and then and that's what I've been using actually to this day. I still use the same stuff, the same patterns. Um, because I, I really like that kind of. I, I love the, the splatter effect. It's always even when I do uh, commissions at conventions. That's always when you pull out the toothbrush. People wonder what's going on, you know, and then you start splattering around. So, oh, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I have a question about that. So of, yeah. of the splatters. So um, before I think a year or two before Origin came out, um, you did a cover that I've always loved. Uh, you did the color work for uh, Invincible Iron Man twenty seven. Which is uh, another Joe cover uh, with Iron Man. He's it's very stark white cover, and you just have Iron Man on it, and he's struggling, and then you just have a bottle of alcohol, oh, and then you just have the dribbles oh, yeah. out of it. Uh-huh. Was that the same type of thing where you used the same type of splatters to get that that look of the alcohol? Uh, no, that was before. No, I did that. Uh, that's when I was uh, very patient. I did that. Uh, all this was done by hand. Yeah, uh, it was a uh, wow. We do like dots and that stuff. Yeah, I um, yeah. Uh, Brian Havlin used to make fun of, of how slow I was because I just I'm I'm very uh, you know minutious. I just like to get everything right, and I always use the most complicated way of doing things. Usually, just <laughs> so <laughs> he would be like, "Okay, well, like." Uh, I mean, we already know you're using old software, so yeah. But uh, yeah, and actually, there was a maximum of 24. Uh, masks at the time uh, uh, channels that you could use and I was always stopping uh, you know maxing them out and he would make fun of me said okay everybody uses three or four channels I get yours are like 24 you can do that <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah and also yeah you gotta remember too that at the time the the uh, uh, we were slow. I mean, everybody was actually. It was. I remember the day when Brian said, "Okay, from now on, you have to do a page every day and a half uh, because we can't go on like this." You know, uh, people were spending like three, four days on the page, um, and uh, and now you expect to do. A, I mean, it's not rare to do a page in two hours. You know, mm-hmm. but at the time it was. Uh, yeah, going to a day and a half was actually hard. So, <laughs> so you know, you kind of get used to it and. Um, you know, uh, life was cheaper in those days too, so there was not the same. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. uh, but it, yeah, no, it was so. Yeah, but by learning how to do it slow, then you can start speeding up. But uh, trying to learn to be fast right away uh, is, is often a, it's a mistake I see in, in the younger colorists. You know, is that they they get the tricks to go fast, but they got they don't have the time to develop other things. Uh, when I was, I mean. I said I, I was very lucky to start in those days at that place, 
because yeah, uh, it was a, a new industry and there was no standards, so you could really experiment and there was no, no point of reference. So if I took a day of page and just thought it was normal, mm. now if you do that, they think you're a lazy bastard, you know? <laughs> uh, but... <laughs> Um, how, how did you kind of so around this period you were kind of the um, the, uh, the 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 cover color artist for Fantastic Four? Um, how did that kind of come about? Because you did a, a fair number of those covers during the, the uh, Mark Wade run uh, with Mark Ringo, you mean? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, uh, that was Tom Brevoort. You know, it's I mean, once uh, it's kind of funny because everybody assumed that I was. Uh, Exclusive at Marvel, but it's just that they always gave me work, so I just stayed. <laughs> I have no reason to say, uh, I, I have, you know, I'm, I'm very easygoing, I guess. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I do what I'm told, you know, and I, I kind of find it, uh, it's my job to, uh, to make people, you know, I come at the end of the line, and uh, by the time you get a, a pencil that spent the whole day drawing a page, and you got the inker and it gets in my hand, I feel like my role is to to make them happy, to make them not regret giving me the job, you know, and uh, and really to to follow uh, their vision, like they're trying to achieve something. And I usually actually I talk a lot with the pencilers that I work uh, that I work with. I try to get exactly what they're trying to do, uh, you know. Um, like on most of those projects, I would spend days on the phone with Adam Kubert and with Jay, with, Adam, with Andy. We just talked all the time, uh, just about painters that we liked, about looks, about movies, about things like that, just to get a sense of, of their taste. And uh, and that kind of, you know, I guess that kind of puts people in in uh, in, uh, in confidence, like they, they feel safe, I guess, mm-hmm. that I'm going to screw them over. And every, if somebody asks for a change, I always do it. I just feel like... Uh, you know, only three people have seen the piece, and if one of them doesn't like it, that's a pretty bad average. So I should <laughs> just fix my stuff <laughs> uh, to a certain extent. You know, sometimes I butted head with people when I disagreed with them, but uh, when I felt strongly. But most of the time, like I said, if if you can find a way to make those three, like the, the yeah, the three or four people that are working on a piece happy, you, you know, you're in a good spot. Absolutely. Uh, and so, uh, and yeah, I've, I've worked a couple of times with Tom Rewards and it always went well. So he, I think that was his idea to, uh, to try to do that. But uh, the problem we had on that was that uh, actually I was supposed to do it from pencils, but it was already uh, promised to the inker. And uh, so I actually worked from, uh, from inked files, which, which was kind of different, but uh, because I, I kind of felt very self-conscious because I knew he had put some time in it, but kind of my job was to go over it to give it that painted look. Mm-hmm. So it came, uh, but he was cool with it. So uh, <laughs> uh, we, uh, you know, I kind of, same thing, I kind of talked and warned about it. Today, go for it, you know, as I've done my job, now you do yours. And um, and then we, so yeah, so it was, but yeah, th- those were very, you know, Adam has kind of a cartoony uh Approach, but uh, Mike was the step, the next step over. So it was also very, uh, just kind of challenging to uh, to try to uh, to give volume to uh, something so cartoony. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, as a, it was. Uh, I love those covers. I mean, some uh, some of those are. I, I re, uh, some of the pieces, uh, some of my favorite pieces. You know, especially the promo piece that we did. The first one was really cool. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. In space, you know, it's a, like a group shot with a space behind it. It was, it's so uh, fantastic for that. It's really cool, you know. <laughs> you <get> the, <laughs> and uh, you know, you got the curly crackles. I think. I mean, it's really like the, this whole. It encapsulates the, the the fantastic for so well. I love that piece. Yeah. 
and uh, you know he's uh, and in, they never comp- uh, Ekman never complained so that was also cool <laughs> like when, when they're just all <laughs> everybody's happy <laughs> absolutely that's a good sign um, from a, we have a, a, a listener question uh, first it's a comment that leads into the question it's um, he says uh, Richard I first noticed your work when you replaced Dave Stewart on Conan from Dark Horse you maintained the palette established by the previous issues but I did notice a slight change I saw more light edges lines of white along m- muscle striations which made me curious about a few things one could you talk about how you handle creative transitions when taking over or leaving a book well well that one was kind of easy because a really few um, like the work that uh, the star of Conan up to that point they well, they actually pretty much they hired me because say, well, we kind of been trying to give it the origin look so if you could come back and do that on a book yourself that would be great <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, so uh, yeah then I and well thing is that I'm a huge Conan the Barbarian fan. I actually wrote my thesis in college about Conan Robert Harewood. Uh, these are, I mean, that's so the chance of working at Conan was just, I, I jumped on it. Um, now the, you know, the, but yeah, the, what happened is that I was just, uh, I mean, by then uh, I had done 1602 in the meantime and uh, I was I was just starting on um on a dark tower, it was a we were a year from publication, but I already started to work on some on some pieces, and I kind of started my style started to shift uh, a lot actually at that point, and um, so I kind of went back, and the first issue was really of Conan was really kind of in vain with uh, the the origin stuff, but uh, I was I was bored to death actually because uh, it, I felt like I was going back. Uh, six years, you know, <laughs> I had I had kind of felt I had evolved, and I kind of wasn't. I kind of you know I did six issues and a few things after that uh, in that exact style. So I kind of felt I, I needed to go somewhere else. So I started to, yeah, you know, like I said, give uh, more uh, harder edges and a little bit more of a kind of more like an engraving style on some pages where I would actually kind of make us instead of trying to blend uh, the strokes try to make them parallel to create the volume and uh, so that was kind of cool actually uh, so because the the dark tower was so uh, soft and airbrushy I really had a I started to give very hard edges and very like hard brush strokes on Conan to kind of compensate <laughs> to get the uh, <laughs> to you know to, to, to you know to, uh, to enjoy both so I wouldn't feel like I was always doing the same thing and uh, I mean Boredom is a very big factor, I think, in uh, in creators in general. Uh, that's what we run away from. So as soon as you feel bored, you know it's time to move on. Uh, but it's kind of funny that uh, your listener liked it because I got trashed by the reviewers. <laughs> it was kind of funny because I had Dark Tower, which was hailed and, and lauded, and at the same time, every month I was getting trashed on Conan for for doing that stuff. Um, <laughs> but I. You know, I was happy with it, and Carrie loved it too. He said, oh, "It's kind of cool to see a, a new spin on, on my work." And um, but uh, yeah, no, it was uh, you know, and Carrie has has very different style from Jay Lee too, so you have to kind of approach him differently. <laughs> and uh, but he's you know he's got such a, uh, a dynamic style that I thought it would be kind of cool to uh, to increase that with kind of almost. Um, like speed lines, you know, <laughs> like my, yeah, I pretty much took my strokes as speed lines all the time to kind of increase the, the speed and the, and the volume and the action and stuff. So it was, I mean, I had a lot of fun. Like I said, the people hated it and uh, Dark Horse never asked me for anything after that, but I had a blast. So I guess that's all that matters. And I'm glad your listener liked it. If he liked it, he didn't say he liked it, though he said that. <laughs> he did, he, yeah, you're right. He did say he noticed your work. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm going to assume that he liked it. Um, yeah. His second question there was, uh, when when doing a transition from and taking over a book, does the previous colorist provide a manual or record of their palette, or do you just approach it totally fresh, or how does that kind of work to maintain some sort of consistency on the book itself, but also use your own style? Uh, it kind of depends. Uh, like, I, I usually... People hire me to do my stuff, so I just I look at at the look of the book to get the colors and uh, to uh, you know to get uh, a point of reference. Um, like it's great when you take over a bad colorist because you can only do better. When you take over a good one, it's kind of harder. <laughs> 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 but but uh, uh, you know you kind of want to shine and show uh, like like uh, you know. Uh, uh, there's no way to say that politely, but um, <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> that's okay. You don't have to be polite here. Uh, what I usually say is, you know, like I like when a when a penciler gives me work and he feels like all his life he's been fucked, and finally somebody's making love to him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so um, and and that's really kind of you know I kind of really try. That's why I try to get into their head and really try to understand. Instead of just taking it as a job where you have to turn in the pages, try to really get in sync with them and try to do the stuff that they're trying to do, and and try to do it better than what they had in mind. Um, I think so, that was uh, the best way to describe that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's I guess that was a more polite way. <laughs> that was it. Uh, but uh, you yeah, know we. Um, so yeah. So when I so. Okay, sometimes uh, when I do a fill-in, I try to match what's been done so far because I don't want my issue to stand out mm-hmm. and uh, kind of wreck the flow of the book. Uh, but if I'm taking over a series, I just do my stuff. Like I said, I just I, yeah, I use the other one as a point of reference, and I try not to uh, like I I see how they've done the special effects mostly or things like that, or how you know like how uh, how they approached uh, certain specific situations. Um, like recently, uh, I took over uh, it was a couple of years ago but I took over the Inhumans uh, and uh, it was Marte uh, Marte Garza that, oh, yeah. that did the covering and he's really good and uh, so I uh, so I kind of looked at what he did and I said okay well I'm going to steal those things and you know uh, I mean the way he did that I'm going to keep doing that and then I'm going to I'm going to color my way and put my own uh, color palette on top of it but uh, the effects and try to keep consistency on that aspect you know mm-hmm. like if somebody's done if that, that's also how you learn you know you kind of if somebody does something good say okay well, I'm going to do that but I'm going to do it on top of my stuff now so <laughs> so so, yeah, so that's pretty much yeah that mindset so I do my stuff but at the same time I take in consideration what's been done before unless I'm just helping out or filling in okay. like there's a, like I often uh, not as often now but it you know, when when I was late on the deadline, uh, or when a friend was on late on the deadline, we'd help each other. Like uh, very often, uh, especially with Dean White, we'd uh, we do backgrounds for each other. Like it's the end of a deadline, and you have still ten pages to do. So I would send him all the backgrounds. He would do them, and then I would do all the figures. So the style would be more consistent, and and, and nobody can tell the difference. You know, you, you can tell a style on the cover, but on the background, you gotta be you gotta have a pretty good eye. Um, uh, so uh, on the character anyway uh, we um, so yes yeah, so when I do that of course I try to match the style of the other colorist mm-hmm. uh, like he says me the previous pages and I try to Im- to imitate their rendering and, and their style and stuff and, and they do the same for me but um, so this this listener does have a follow up question about Conan so I think yeah. I think he did like it 
fucking good. Is uh, you. your your first arc in Conan was Rogues in the House, and it featured pencils by Kerry Nord and Tomas Guerrero. The two artists yeah. seemed very different in their approach. Nord had looser pencils, and Guerrero emphasizes positive and negative spaces. Was it a challenge to maintain a consistent look between the two? Um. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Uh, I mean, the fact I had actually, I created a specific palette for that book uh, with a Conan make, uh, it was much more um, round the skin tones than usual. Uh, I didn't go for realistic, you know, I kind of wanted that kind of tan look on him. And uh, and because I knew the the monkey in a red cape was coming in, a, in the last couple of issues, I, uh, I used very, um, like, I, I would use very kind of bright, uh, spots of red kind of as a as a storytelling device like all the important stuff like I would kind of put like a hint of red here and there mm-hmm. to really kind of carry that to visually create those very strong and uh, so that was one thing that I did on both artists and uh, that kind of made it easier like having a palette not having to totally reinvent the wheel when I when we switched pencil kind of made it easier but um, yeah the, but more than uh, uh then the approach uh, to light and dark it was mostly the the tightness of the pencils because uh, Kari is very loose is very uh, sketchy you know so uh, that's kind of what I fed off when I did my my brush strokes were very kind of rough and following what he did kind of co- trying to complement it the way he rendered the, sh- the form but uh, Gary Lowe was his name sorry I can't remember the, the other penciler I only did those two issues with him but he, he had a style that was much uh, much cleaner you know like there would be a, like very uh, very harsh uh, delimitation between the dark and, and the light and uh, and so that kind of made it harder to blend and to uh, but you know I just yeah so it was a bit of a challenge in that aspect and uh, but um I'm glad if he thinks I succeeded. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to I go back for a moment to, to uh, 1602. Um, yep. So obviously, you, you know, you'd work with Andy, obviously, on, uh, on Origin. How did you get approached to do 1602, or was it kind of a foregone conclusion that you'd be doing the next big project with him? Yeah, well, that was kind of a... Um, no, no, I mean, well, I guess, yeah, in people's mind, we were kind of a an item by then so uh, <laughs> when they uh, when that project came up they said let's do it the same way they wanted it to be a little bit different uh, but uh, kind of uh, you know try to do that um, I guess by then yeah, we were the team that would do the, the high profile uh, kind of different books you know especially I think because it was also a period piece kind of that kind of uh, put our names in uh, in our minds um and uh, that's why but it's kind of funny because after Origin, I, you know, it, it was such a big book that I'm like, okay, well, you know, from from now on, it's going to be a slow, a slow fade away. You know, that was the height of my career. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to go away from now. And then, you know, a couple of years later, it's, hey, Neil Gaiman's ready. Oh, okay, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> so I get. And then a couple of years later, hey, Stephen King's doing. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, uh, so yeah, no, that was. Um, but yeah, then I, we, uh, but yeah, I, there was a conference call. I remember just very early, you know, they said, oh, there's this new project. We're going to go. So talk to you next week. And your game is going to be in the office. I'm going to talk about it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so we had this conference call and he was, uh, he wanted it to be um, much brighter colors. He wanted it to kind of, uh, I mean, even though it was 
a different form of coloring to kind of uh, bring to mind the early comics with a very, uh, you know, like, like the flat uh, colors that popped, uh, like the Golden Age type of coloring. And uh, so, which actually, in the last issue, that's what we did, you know, there's, there's a flashback to Captain America and it's all, uh, I played with having the dots of the, of the prints and all that. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so the, 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 and the, the idea was to make something that was, uh, that was much more colorful than what we did in, uh, uh, in, in origin. And uh, also, um, Andy approached it much more systematically than he did uh, uh, origin. Like on origin, the, his strokes were going a little bit in every direction, you know, as long as they would indicate the volume. But uh, origin, all he did was uh, brush strokes at 45 degrees. Uh, you know, like he would like very, like kind of almost uh, like an engraving type of technique. You know, where you just uh, just uh, uh, the line weight would define the the shadow and the, and the, and how dark something would be, but uh, but not the direction of the of the line. Mm-hmm. So was kind of uh, so that's why I, I kind of I started by doing the, the same thing with the, with the colors, and then I kind of created a mask that would allow me to do one pass with, a, with one color and then another one by following those 45 degrees uh, uh, strokes. But uh, the, the problem with that was that he's right-handed and I'm left-handed. Oh. And uh, so it's, uh, so you know, for a right-handed person, uh, the natural stroke would be to go from, uh, from the bottom right to the, uh, from bottom left to the top right. You know, if you if you use your if you rotate on your elbow, if you're right-handed, that's how your hand is gonna go. Okay. Mine goes the way around. It goes from the top left to the bottom right. So it was really hard because I kind of had, I, you know, so pretty much I ended up flipping all the all the pages were colored backwards because I had to flip them, and then so I could do those strokes easier with my so they would be more natural brush strokes, and uh, and of course half of the time I would forget to flip them back so they would yell at me, but um, said backwards. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> <Send it back. laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, so it was a it was a it was a nice exercise. Um, I um, once again that it was kind of weird because I was, it's one of those cases where I was really happy with the result. But um, I found out he didn't mean it that way. But at the time, I really got burned by uh, Neil Gaiman because he uh, he had the when the hardcover came out. Um, in the, you know they have some black and white uh, pages at the end and he kind of put little comments on top and he said oh I'm so glad people are able to uh, to see the black and white pages they can see how much energy there was in them I'm like okay so that <laughs> so I'm like oh so I guess there's no energy anymore <laughs> of course I, I talked to him about it and he didn't mean it that way but of course by then it was published but <laughs> it was printed out but um, he's uh, yeah so you know I have a pretty uh, fragile ego, especially when you're, you know, like you get one of your, when you feel burned by by one of your idols, it's pretty painful. So, mm-hmm, no, <laughs> that, for sure, so I couldn't look at the book until uh, for for a few years after that. Oh, that's uh, that's horrible. <laughs> no, it's okay. Like I said, uh, I've talked to him since, and uh, he's a he's actually a very nice, very nice guy. So. <laughs> how did you uh, How did you get commissioned? There was a um, uh, a hardcover. Uh, this is probably like ten years ago now. Uh, reprinting um, the death of Gwen Stacy, and you did the uh, the color art on the cover uh, for that hardcover collection. How did that kind of come about? It's very strike. It's very striking when you take a, a classic image, but you add your colors to it, and it really makes it pop in a new way. How did you kind of get asked to do that? Um, well, you know, it was kind of 
uh, I mean, yeah, to be fair, all this stems from, from origin, you know, it was just like people knew that I could do, I kind of became the painted guy. <laughs> Whenever they <laughs> need some, something painted, so oh, let's give it to Richard. And uh, so, which was great because he pays better. And, uh, but, <laughs> but also I got to redo that. And, of, you know, uh, we talked about uh, Corey Salome or that kind of also, uh, I did, uh, you know, I did three years of Marvel Masterworks, which was pretty much the, what I that was what I did on those, you know, and that's, and, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I, you know, um, there's a, I read the, the death of Gwen Stacy when I was, what, 12 years old, something like this. And I was just, uh, you know, so to get to work first on, on, on Gil Kane, which was one of my masters as a kid and to, uh, to do that cover was just awesome. You know, uh, it was, um, yeah, uh, I mean that's pretty much it. Like I said, I was I was the go-to guy for painting. Then other, you know, uh, so that it's kind of a nice reputation to have. Even though <laughs> by then other people were doing it, but I was, uh, and also uh, I think the uh, because I'm associated with uh, with a uh, Joe Quesada with a uh, 1602 and with uh, with that. And I mean, I've worked. I've been lucky to work with some pretty high profile people so I can that kind of gave my my reputation a little shine you know uh, I can buy uh, my association I'm, I'm kind of the guy when you when you need something uh, some uh, you know I don't you know like I said I think in people's mind I'm associated I'm in the same category uh, uh, not category but I'm associated to them so they kind of feel like uh, that's uh, my name comes to mind I guess when when they got something that uh, that they want painted and they want to start a look about it. So. For, for sure. Now, you, you brought up the Masterworks. When you were doing the Masterworks covers, what was it like getting to do colors over Kirby and like these other these famous greats of the industry, being able to add you know your your kind of your color touch up to some seminal artwork? Um, well, it's uh, it's actually very weird. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, you know, like I said, I'm I'm, I'm a big. Uh, comic book fan and it's very uh, intimidating <laughs> because uh, you're working on the I mean there, there, there was some of those covers that I drooled over when I, when I was a little kid you know uh, it was just uh, a weird sensation but uh, actually the the funny thing uh, if you um, uh, in France when uh, like that book that I was told talking about the, the first uh, comic book I ever bought. There was a, a guy named, uh, uh, I think his name was Tisano, very bad with names, but he was this Italian painter living in France, and his job was to actually paint the American covers because people in France didn't respond very well to the to the bluntness of the coloring on, on the American covers. Mm. So to make more palatable to the American to the French audience, this guy was painting, was repaint we would take a, an American cover and, and repaint it. Uh, it was often very stilted and static uh, because you know he had to do a lot every month. <laughs> but uh, he uh, but that kind of was where my mind went, I guess, to this kind of uh, oil painting that this guy would do from uh, from those classic covers. Um, but you know, it's really hard to to draw uh, the. You know, Jack Kirby is probably is uh, how to say is um, is a graphic artist, not a th- you know he thinks in two D, not in three D. <laughs> so mm-hmm. like he's a he, can, he creates scale and uh, and dynamic, but using only. Um, not using realistic tools. So once you start to put a realistic spin on it, it 
it doesn't always work. Uh, uh, well, I mean, it's just much harder to make it work. Uh, it's not his fault. It's because that's you know his stuff was never meant to be done that way. It, it was. Uh, I'm not saying it's. Uh, you know, I don't want it to be <laughs> to uh, to be interpreted as me saying well, Kirby sucks and uh, I can do a volume better than him. It's just that his uh, his vocabulary was not meant to be used in that way. So you kind of have to go against the grammatical uh, language that he's using. So it's really kind of a it's 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 a big struggle. So I mean, sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. And uh, you know, they are, and uh, it's actually even more pronounced on the um, on the golden age covers. That those were really a challenge because they you know they were even further from what I'm used to as mm. far as uh, graphically. And so that was. Uh, those were a challenge, yeah. You, you end up just second-guessing yourself all the time. And, and also, you want to be respectful to the original piece. So it's really, yeah, it's... Um, I, I just, but, you know, I, those kind of... Uh, I, I want to say I spend an average on 12 hours on each one of those. Uh, it's not something that you kind of... Uh, that you crap out, you know? You, you kind of... Uh, it's... Uh, I... I would save a day just uh, just for those, you know. I would uh, kind of put aside. That's why sometimes I was very late. Sorry, Corey, if you're listening. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> but you have to have yeah, twelve hours ahead of you to to do them right, you know. So it's not that uh, that, that easy. And um, and yeah, and you know, I like I said, I feel on the Kirby stuff, I only partially succeeded. There was some that were cool. There, there was the. The Fantastic Four in Latveria was because there was so many details that kind of compensated. But when it's a more graphic cover, I, I, I'm not sure I did uh, such a good job on it. But um, you know, there was the the Gil Kane uh, uh, Adam Adam Warlock was great. Uh, uh, there there was a few very good ones. Gene Colan is super hard uh, because he's the uh, same thing. He's got very loose style. So to, uh, you know, to, to, once you start to put it in volume, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's very hard to make that work. Um, it's, um, but you know, it's, it's all a learning experience. And you know, like I said, I, I get to work when you, the first time you put, uh, your signature next to Jack Kirby, it's, it's kind of, it's pretty cool. <laughs> I have to say, <laughs> so, uh, that's what I love on Facebook. I always put, uh, some, some covers almost every day. And, uh, you know, you write the pencils, Jack Kirby colors me. So, okay, cool. That's kind of nice. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Something you can, uh, you can always be proud of. They at least got the work over the king. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, I um, yeah it kind of bummed me out because uh, Dean White was doing them at first. And he got to do the Silver Surfer, which I'm, I'm kind of jealous on that one. I would have loved to do uh, that. The Silver Surfer was one of the. That's when I started. Um, like John Buscema was really when I realized that uh, comic books were not just something uh, you know to read uh, secretly in a bathroom. It could really be art, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the Silver Surfer and Conan. Uh, like the Savage Sword were just revelations for me when I, when I was like an early teenager that just the you know the the, the the dynamic of every single post the drama that he could put in everything was just uh, he was really my uh, my eye opener <coughs> so anyway so yes I still got to do a couple of Avengers cover Wolverine, which was kind of cool true uh, of, uh, yeah of John Bissama you know now, I, w- I want to go back to uh, The Dark Tower. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. as you said, you were working on it way in advance of it even 
being published. Uh, mm-hmm. How how was that as a challenge to change your style and adapt it? I mean, Jay Lee's a very different type of artist. Yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, he is different, but um, it was um, it was actually really amazing <laughs> the the first time we because uh, what happened is I um, uh, I. I I, I'm, I'm a huge Stephen King fan. Uh, I talked with uh, with Joe uh, a few times about him. And I remember talking to him, saying, "Hey, man, it would be great if uh, Stephen King uh, worked uh, did something for you." And because uh, I was reading some short stories, I said, "Man, that would make a great comic," you know. And uh, and that was just uh, after he got hit. By, it was the early 2000s, you know. He was just focusing on the Dark Tower actually at the time. And he was he decided that he was going to retire after he finished the Dark Tower, and. Um, <clears throat> Of course, that didn't last. But at the time, uh, Joe said, "Well, no, we, we thought about it, but uh, he's uh, he decided to retire." And then he, I guess Joe mentioned it at a cup of Joe in a, in at a convention, and that got back to his agent, who said, "Hey, actually, you know what? <laughs> uh, Stephen would be interested in doing the Dark Tower as a comic." So then Joe called me and said, "Didn't you mention you like Stephen King?" I said, "Yeah, why?" <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Well, you might be happy about that because." <laughs> and uh, and what happened is, uh, Jay wanted um, he had always inked his work up until now, and uh, he works with his wife as a colorist, and he was very happy with the way it worked. And uh, so uh, he um, he his goal was he was gonna, but Joe said, "Okay, you know, how about you give it a try? Try to get it." You know, digitally painted, and we'll see how it works. So, actually, uh, so Jay did the first page. I got the pencils, and he, I, I think he, he had the pencil three pages, and he was going to. I was going to work from the pencils, and he was going to ink them and have his wife do a version, and then we'd uh, and then he decide which one he wanted. And uh, so he sent me that first page, and uh, of course Stephen King was coming to the office a week later, and uh, we had to we had one week to color five pages and a cover. And um, and it became, of course, I got the cover the day before. <laughs> but it's uh, like Jay was freaking out too. I mean, we knew it was going to be uh, like a, a life-changing type of job uh, because it was so huge. And uh, he also was a big Stephen King fan, so we were like crapping in our pants. And um, so I did. So I got that first page, and there was. I just knew what to do with it. It was just like it was kind of like a, like a reunited twin, you know. Uh, it's uh, right away. It was um, I I, I, I described it. It was like when you're trying to climb, and every time you reach, you find exactly the the nook that you need to keep climbing. It was like I would just paint the stuff, and you had exactly you know I could. I could almost like, once again do his stuff with my eyes closed. It was just uh, his the way he, uh, he understand lights and the way he uh, he it's mostly his sense of light. It's exactly the I mean he's the same as mine, but uh, in a, in a way that we understand the way uh, light hits volume the same way. So it was just all I had to do was follow what he was doing, and it was just complementing exactly what I was doing. And uh, so that, I mean, I, you know, I said, okay, I'm going to kick the ass of that page. I'm going to be there for like 12 hours working the shit out of it. <laughs> and actually, in four hours, it was done. And I'm like, well, I'm done. Shit. <laughs> and I don't know what else to do. And I sent it in and he wrote back, said, okay, well, screw it. Yeah, I'm not eating that. We're going to do the whole book like that. So... <laughs> 
and uh, so that was it. He didn't even go to the second step of trying the other one. He, we just um, and really after that, it, it just was. It was. I mean, he he's very peculiar about what he likes, and and that's that was also the great thing. We started and uh, uh, we had a conversation on the phone, and something. I think we talked at least every other day throughout this whole project. You know, we'd spend like an hour on the phone. At the time, Lost was on, and he was a big fan, and so was I. So we talk about Lost, and then we talk about <laughs> everything else. And uh, and you know, he moved to Vegas. He, I, don't know, I was having kids; he was having dogs. Uh, but uh, we, uh, you know, it was uh, it was really like a very uh, work wise. It was such a symbiotic uh, uh, relationship that it was really. Uh, it, and also, um, the thing that was kind of specific is that it didn't fall into the Marvel universe. So at first they were really interested, especially when it sold the way it sold. But after a while, they kind of figured we knew what we were doing. So it was pretty much uh, Ralph Macchio, um, Robin the writer, and me and Jay, and then the, uh, Peter David would come in and finish up. But it was just, um, it was it was that office and nobody really cared what we did as long as the book came out once we kind of you know once the first trade came out after that we were on we were free willing like we could uh, nobody nobody was on our ass you know in a, like I would go to Marvel uh, and they would say hey what are you working on so I'm working on one of your best selling books but that's okay and <laughs> and uh, you know, it's because yeah, it, it was not part of the of the Marvel grind, you know. So we kind of were like this little office, that satellite that kind of worked on its own dynamic, and um, and we, you know, we delivered books the day it was due, and they hadn't seen any page up until then, or things like that. But they were, you know, it came out, so nobody really bugged us. It was just, it was actually, uh, yeah, it was it was tiring because we worked a lot. I mean, uh, I, I would usually put a. a a week of all-nighters at the end of every deadline, no? But, um, but it was really rewarding. And uh, I think, uh, I mean, throughout the first 30 issues uh, with uh, with Jay, I made a point on never reusing the same color scheme in the background. Uh, so it was kind of like I would have to go back. I would save all the background separately and say, okay, okay, no, I haven't done that. I can go. And uh, so and create and making a point of each scene had to have its specific new uh new atmosphere to it you know so that was kind of a uh, and also creating a universe from scratch that I mean you never get to do that you know on the like there was no visual except for the, the drawings that were in a book but we didn't really look at them we kind of there was a uh, uh, a will to really do something different so pretty much Jay did his stuff and I did my thing and and that was it <laughs> so it was really uh I mean, yeah, that's, and actually I ended up working from 2000, uh, yeah, I worked eight years on that thing. Uh, and uh, it was actually weird when I stopped. I kind of, not to, uh, you know, not to be in mid-world anymore was a weird feeling. <laughs> you know, when it's been your bread and butter and your life and everything, you you know, I, I listened to the whole series while I worked three times while I was on it. And then... Uh, you know, I knew all the books inside and out. Uh, everything we'd done, it was a, and that was pretty much. I did a couple side projects, but that pretty much was all I worked on this whole time. So it was a, you know, it was really. Uh, I mean, being immersed in the universe for that long and just uh, it, it was a, it was an experience, definitely. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, 
Uh, jumping forward in time, I'm curious, um, you did the colors, I guess, on the last few issues of the covers for We Stand on Guard from Image Comics. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm curious how that kind of came about, because I think you became the colors with, what, issue four or something? Um, uh, it's, uh, well, Steve is a, he's a friend on Facebook, and, <laughs> and I did once a cover of his that was a, uh, Wolverine and Spider-Man. Okay. Uh, and uh, same thing I was a big fan so I really wanted to show off so that's another one where I worked like 12-16 hours on a piece and um, and uh, and he really liked it so uh, he uh, but we never got to work again together and then so I put that on Facebook said hey man we gotta do something together <laughs> said yeah I would love that so then he contacted me and then he sent me hey uh, and he sent me the cover and that was that easy um, it was a uh, it's uh, it's funny. Uh, I find that uh, there was another time when I, I said something nice about an editor on the on a post, and then two days later he called me to offer me a gig. So <laughs> <laughs> Out of the blue, you know, say hey, you know how about that stuff? I said okay, cool. <laughs> I gotta do that more often. Uh, but <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was really like, like that. And then he and actually. Right after I did the piece, he was at a signing in uh, in LA, so I went to see him, and um, that was kind of um, yeah. He's he's, he's a very nice guy, um, and uh, also I've been uh, I guess I can say it. I don't know. There's no. It's not a big secret, but I've been covering the last issue of uh, Doctor of Doctor Frankenstein for him. Oh, okay. Uh, we don't know when that's going to come out. It's still a work in progress. So, uh, but it's being worked on, and uh, yeah. So I. Uh, so whenever there's a page, I color it, and it's uh, so. So yeah, we we've been working for like that on and off. <laughs> and, uh, what was it like working on? So I guess this is about a year and a half ago, but you were doing um, uh, some of the covers for the uh, the Hercules series by Dan Abnett and Luke Ross. Uh, but yeah. I guess you were doing the co- the uh, colors over the covers for uh, I don't Jan- know. Yeah, Jay. I, I don't know how to pronounce the last name. But uh, how did how did that kind of come about? And the color and the covers are just striking. But your colors are just they uh, they bring a real they really bring it to life. Like it lo- really looks like it's not just art anymore. Like it's almost real. Like how did you kind of approach a character like Hercules and getting the colors just right? Well, he um, you know he renders everything in in great scales. So you just have to uh, to feed off of that. Uh, yeah, I only did. Yeah, I only did a few. One of those. It was. Um, I. Uh, uh, I don't think it's kind of funny actually because there are some covers I'm really happy with, and I don't think the the penciler were really happy with <laughs> because <laughs> I don't. Uh, I didn't get that much feedback on it. I thought they they looked cool, but it was it was actually very hard because he's uh, there's so much in the drawing that there's not much room to play with, and. Um, like everything is fully rendered, you just have to pretty much color within the, and then add some highlights and stuff like that. But and that's actually I think that that I, I, I kind of took over in a, in some places, and uh, that's that kind of you know uh, that that's not what he wanted. <laughs> he wanted his stuff to be more respected, I think. And uh, but uh, it was uh, yeah, you know, it's and oh, it's. Uh, as far as color schemes go, it's really kind of hard because he was always so prominent in every stuff, and he's got a, this kind of a, you know he's golden green pretty much. Even his skin is kind of a little bit more tan, and um, 
and that kind of really limits the option of what you can do. So you kind of end up everything. I mean, that's probably why it, it, it worked. Or I thought it worked, and because he kind of always give that kind of everything is gold and shiny, and like it's like you're really on Olympus, you know. <laughs> so it's uh, but yeah, but he's got a, a great sense of light too. Like everything is perfectly lit, so you just. Uh, but it, there's so much that it's actually limiting because it's you feel like all you're doing is kind of like you're, you know, you're, you're just putting the final accents on it, but everything is already there. So it's, um, it, it's, yeah. I mean, pretty much what I'm trying to say, it's, it was all there already. I just added up the final highlights, but really most of it is his work. You know, I can just uh, I can't take credit for it. It was um, so, so yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, what was it? Um, no, you, you did the. Um uh, the colors over Ryan Stegman for Uncanny Avengers when that launched, uh, and yeah. that was a very vibrant-looking book. How did you kind of approach? Because um, you've done a lot of special products and you've done a lot of covers in the intervening years, but that was a more traditional superhero book. How did you kind of readapt yourself to doing the interior colors on that? Well, it was actually um, <laughs> sorry, I got to turn that off. Uh, um. Well, that was actually when I when I moved on to Photoshop, uh, to, when I you know to the new version of Photoshop to uh, to CC. Okay. So, uh, so that was kind of good for me because I had to. Uh, I just went back to the basics of a really kind of classic uh, computer coloring, uh, which was uh, just you know airbrush gradients, uh, lasso, and all that kind of relearning how to use the tool. So that was kind of why I, I kind of went back to a very classic superhero look and um, it was fun I mean I kind of I, I there's a tendency now to go very dark I think it's due to the to the movies and all that to take that very realistic approach to uh, to coloring a lot of backlight and everything seems to be in dark alleys with a flashlight behind it and it's all very intense <laughs> but uh, you know, I kind of like colors, especially on a, on an artist like uh, like Ryan. We, he's so uh, bubbly, and so there's so much energy, and so uh, you know, it's kind of like uh, like Calvin and Hobbes. You know, like it's all dynamic uh, but cartoony at the same time. And I I, I guess I'd never really worked on the on a series in a on full on you know on a on a full series of books I've done covers on on cartoony uh, people but never uh, inside uh, to that degree Joe is kind of cartoony but he's so he's also very realistic uh, Ryan is totally open there's no shading you know on his stand it's less in some places but most of it is um, is uh, um Sorry, my son is trying to call me to pick him up at school. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, Ryan is very open, so you have to kind of create all the volume and all that. So that kind of makes it um, – it, it was a different challenge. But I, I had a blast on those. They were really fun, especially doing cable and all those guys. That was uh, – uh, it's uh, it's always fun to do. And uh, uh, the costumes were a bitch because everybody had a different color scheme. Mm. So by the figure it out they're very complex costumes and like with a like a Dr. Voodoo was a was a pain like uh, because he's very, even they're so the costumes are so complicated that even the pencilers don't keep them consistent so uh, so it's really like you always have to kind of fudge things around and it's uh, but it's uh, you know by the time you get them you've done 10 books and you're off so it's kind of <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but it was no it was fun it was uh, but we also did uh, Inhuman before that with, uh, with Ryan which oh was that's awesome. right yes and um, no, I, I, I like that that work. Yeah, it's uh, 
it, it was fun. And then, um, yeah, then I did Guardians of the Galaxy, and uh, which was also a little bit more cartoony than what I had done before, but it was more in, uh, in the same vein uh, with, uh, with Valerio Skilly. Uh, um, but yeah, that's it. <laughs> Well, I know you have to probably get running, but I'll just have a couple more questions. Um, sure. um, what, how intimidating was it when you did the uh, Joe Quesada did a variant cover for Star Wars Darth Vader twenty five? You did the colors for it. Was that intimidating to do such an iconic figure and do the colors for him? Um, uh, yeah, I mean it's kind of yeah, it's it's the same thing. You know, there's a you keep bringing up PCs where just where yeah, you get so nervous, so you know you gotta kick ass on it. So you just work until it's right. Sometimes you overwork things, but uh, thing is, I've been working with Joe for almost uh, well next year is going to be twenty years, uh, wow. and uh, I kind of kind of know his tricks by now, <laughs> and uh, well, in in that I know what looks good on him. Uh, still, you know, like he's is a challenge because he keeps change, he keeps pushing himself and kind of reinventing himself every uh, every five years. So you have to uh, to follow up, but the the structure is always consistent, you know. Uh, so you kind of uh, and once again the way you understand lights, it's I'm familiar with it. So uh, I know how to do the minimum so that I know that it's going to work no matter what. So that kind of that's kind of reassuring. Like when I get a piece by Joe or by Adam or by people or Jay, you know, I I know what's going to work. So I can start with that and then I try to push myself a little bit further, but at least I have a base that I know is stable, so I'm not too, too worried. But, and, you know, you can only fuck up so much on those guys because you get such a solid foundation that you really have to go out of your way to mess it up. So... Mm-hmm. All right, I'll, I'll close out, uh, or I'll try and bring us to a close. Um, first, uh, another question from Corey, which was, uh, why so much purple? <laughs> Bastard. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. They make fun of me because I, I love purple. Uh, but the, the, the reason for that is things are usually lit by your yellow sun and as things get away from their light source um, they're going to go towards the complementary which is purple uh, so that's pretty much that's the basic for it but um, what I do is I, I often lay down a dark tone and I build up my colors from there and uh, for each page I like to have like, you, you use a unifying tone so that all the colors kind of as they get darker aim towards the same shade the same tone uh, tone yeah mm-hmm. so actually if I'm if I'm going to do a scene that's uh, you know it's night time and it's in uh, in a sewer I'm going to I'm going to lay down a very dark greenish khaki type of color and then build my colors from there like I'm going to start to put a little bit of flesh tones on top of it but the base of the color is always going to be that green and uh, but the color that really makes all the color the other pop is always a, a, a very dark purple. Like you put a red on top of the purple, and suddenly all the all the all the shadows are popping. Yellow and all the flesh tones really pop because they, they aim towards the, the complementaries. And um, so yeah, so that's why I use purple all the time. But I know they give me crap because that's kind of my default setting. When I don't know what to do, I start with the purple, and then I build from there. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, <laughs> but it's a problem when people mention it because after that you're stuck. So, oh, man, if I could start with a purple, I could do something great. But now I can't because I gave me shit about it. So, <laughs> um, and they wouldn't know. But uh, 
it's kind of the starting point. Uh, so he also asks, uh, uh, I guess, Serge uh, Gainsbourg, please explain. <laughs> Serge Gainsbourg? <laughs> what is there to explain? He's a French musical genius, I guess. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I, I can't remember the conversation there. I'm sorry. Uh, That's okay. <laughs> um, I guess my my last question then too is um, what what kind of uh, upcoming projects can we look forward to seeing your uh, your colors on? Um, I'm uh, well. It's I was afraid of that one actually because I'm working for on the, for a video game company right now doing some property work and I'm kind of bound by secrecy. Okay, uh, but that's coming out soon and it's going to be really cool. And I'm drawing it and I'm coloring it. Um, because yeah, yeah, I should mention since uh, I actually ended up, uh, I drew uh, like twelve episodes of the Dark Tower after after Jay left, and uh, and I've done a few other penciling gigs, and that's kind of more uh, what I'm interested in now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've been coloring for so long that it's kind of uh, I'm trying to do my own stuff, and uh, so I, I did um, you know Spider Man Noir, and I did uh, Wolverine, Savage Wolverine. And that I also wrote, and so now I'm kind of gearing more towards uh, penciling ink. But the problem is, since I also do the color, and as I mentioned, I'm fairly slow. I, it's really hard for me to do a monthly book mm. uh, to uh, to manage to get paid doing <laughs> and, and draw my stuff. I um, yeah, I'm doing I'm doing that book. It's uh, but it's great. I get uh, the time to work on everything and to draw, and then uh, go back and color the whole thing. And uh, also, um, I've been kind of like everybody else in uh, in the industry, toying with the idea of a of a proper, you know, a property owned character, uh, at least a, a series. I'd like to do, uh, yeah, um, uh, create our own uh, series, probably for a while. I don't know. It's um, you know, I'm, I'm I can take the time to do what I like now, so I'm kind of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm choosy with my projects and I, uh, I kind of uh, uh, but yeah I'm, I'm more interested uh, I like coloring my stuff because at least I have a safety net I know no matter how messed up my drawing is I know how to salvage them in color mm. <laughs> since I've done that in the past uh, but uh, but overall yeah it's, it's much more uh, challenging to try to do everything by myself so for sure uh, I'll close with one question when you do do conventions and you're asked to sign things what's the uh, not the most frequent but what's the rarest thing that you've been asked to sign or the thing you were like I worked on this <laughs> uh, well I would you know I don't think I've ever signed Vampirella uh, I did uh, like four or five issues of Vampirella between Top Cow and uh, and, uh, and Marvel uh, but yeah, sometimes there are some. Uh, it's most of the time is when something has been republished or uh, that, that I had no idea that it was even done. But uh, sometimes the top cow stuff, you know, that was 23 years ago, and I barely remember it. And then some, sometimes somebody pulls out, a, especially the the pinup issues that we used to do at the time. You know, it was just all the all the characters in uh, in bathing suits. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I have no idea why people bought it, but once in a while, one of those uh, come up. And actually, the very first piece I did was uh, a Brandon Peterson of I uh, can't remember her name, but one of the characters of Cyber Force on the beach, and um, that was <laughs> the first. Uh, <laughs> 
What an illustrious yeah. start to a, an amazing career, right? <laughs> well, it's it's a career anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, Richard, thank you so much for uh, for spending so much time with us today and talking about your career in comics. And uh, we obviously look forward to uh, to your upcoming uh, work. Um, it's always a pleasure to see your name on the credits and to see your your amazing color style. Well, thank you so much for listening to what I had to say. <laughs> I, hope, yeah, I hope people make it to the end. Uh, but uh, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Okay. Bye. Thanks.